Chapter Twenty Seven of the Ghost Ship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ghost Ship by John Conrad Hutchison. Chapter Twenty Seven. I go to Venezuela. You better stick to us," said the skipper to Colonel Vereker, who talked of taking the next Cunard steamer which was advertised to leave on the morrow, as the Star of the North was being berthed in our company's dock on the East River. I'm only going to stop here long enough to discharge our cargo and ship a fresh one, which is already in waiting for us, and then, sir, we'll make tracks, as our friends the Yankees say, right away over the herring pond to Liverpool as fast as steam and sail can carry the old barky. Better stick to us, Colonel, and see the voyage out. "'All right, Senor Applegarth,' replied the colonel, who could not drop his Spanish phraseology all at once, though otherwise gradually returning to his and our native tongue, and becoming less of a foreigner in every way. "'I will return with you.' Both were as good as their word, he and little Elsie coming home with us, and the skipper making the passage from Sandy Hook to the Mersey in eight days from land to land, the fastest run we had ever achieved across the Atlantic— whether outward or homeward bound. But, quick as we were, the Saint-Pierre managed to reach Liverpool before we did, the pilot who boarded us off the skerries bringing the news that she had gone up the river a tide ahead of us. This piece of intelligence was confirmed beyond question by Gary O'Neill coming off in the company's tug that sheered alongside as we dropped anchor in the stream later on, midway between the Prince's landing stage and the Birkenhead shore the manager of our line being anxious to compliment the skipper on his successful rescue of the French ship, the percentage on whose valuable cargo for bringing her safely to port, and thus saving all loss to the underwriters, would more than repay any damage done for the detention of our vessel when engaged on the errand of mercy and justice that took her off her course. In addition, likewise, to the thanks of the company and the underwriters, the skipper was also presented with a handsome gold chronometer watch by the committee of Lloyds, besides participating in the amount awarded by the charterers of the Saint-Pierre for the salvage of the ship, though in the latter apportionment it was only fair to mention that we all shared, officers and crew alike, I for my part coming into the sudden possession of such a tidy little sum of ready money that I felt myself a comparative millionaire. When talking with Gary, whom it is almost needless to say all hands were glad to see again, the men cheering him lustily as he crossed the gangway from the tug, he told us that though otherwise they had had a fairly pleasant voyage after parting company with us off the Azores, the Boisson gave him a good deal of trouble. Madame, he said, worried his life out by making eyes at him when he went below at meal times. while on deck he was never safe for a moment from her embarrassing attentions, unless in desperation, as he was often forced to do, he went aloft to get out of her way. "'Faith, and sure that weren't the worst of it, neither,' complained Garry in his humorous way. "'Though the vain, silly old creature bade Banagher for flirting, and indeed baits every other of her six. God bless em, <laughs> that I've ever clapped eyes on yet. <laughs> that queer little Frenchy chap, her husband, he, the little sparrow, must needs get jealous, and makes out it's all my fault, and believe me, a nice time I had of it altogether. 
At last I said to him, after having been more than usually exasperated by him, "'If you want to fight me, Begore, you can begin as soon as you like, at the same time showing him me fists.' "'Ah, non, 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 mon du, non, non, not yet, ve,' says he, jumping away from me when he caught sight of me fists. "'I vas mean ze duel and ze rapier.' <laughs> "'Not me, ve,' says I. "'If it's duelin' you want, you'll have to go to another shop, Monsieur Parlez-vous, for it ain't in my line. Allow me to tell you, too, Monsieur Boson.' that if you dare to hint at such a thing against while I'm in command of this ship, the only satisfaction you'll ever have out of me, in the rapier way, will be a rap on the head with this stick of mine here, you recollect, just to try the strength of your cranium, Bagora. Faith, that settled the matter, the little beggar turning as pale as a codfish, and going below at once, looking very dejected and crestfallen. <laughs> he never said another word after that to me as long as he remained aboard, nor did Madame trouble me very much with her attentions. On the contrary, bedad, from the day this happening till yesterday, where she were set ashore at the landing stage yonder, she look mighty sour at me if we chanced to mate on deck. "'Hey, faith, <laughs> as sour as a babby that's been weaned on buttermilk.' "'Why,' inquired the skipper, when we had both a good laugh at Gary and his account of the Boisson episode, "'have they left then the ship for good?' "'Faith, yes, sir, bag and baggage, the blessed pair of them. <laughs> and mighty pleased I were to see the backs of them. "'But how about the trial of those black devils, those pirates, "'and won't they be required as witnesses against the murderers?' "'No, sir,' replied Gary. "'The police officer that came aboard when we got into dock "'said they didn't want Monsieur nor Madame either, "'as they didn't know a hapworth of the jambole, worse luck, "'they being below all the time. "'The magistrates think the two French sailors "'were going on fine by the same token.' and the colonel, all of whom were on deck and saw everything that went on, would be sufficient witnesses against the Haitian scoundrels. Oh, said the skipper, have these men been brought up before the magistrates? Aye, yesterday afternoon, sir, and they've been remanded, whatever that may mean. They thought they'd been reprimanded, I'm thinking, and the cat of nine tails if they had their desserts, uh, till next Tuesday. The magistrates, Belayan, the uh, old star of the north, with you, Captain, with the colonel aboard, to give evidence against the mutineers that they wouldn't be in from New York afore then, not knowing what the old Burke could do in the way of stamen as you and I do, sir, and that she'd arrive faith today. All happened as Gary O'Neill informed us, the Haitians and mutineer blacks of the St. Pierre's crew being brought up again before the magistrates the week following our arrival home when, after hearing the additional evidence against them given by Colonel Vereker and the skipper, the six black and mahogany-coloured rascals were committed for trial at the next assizes, which we were told would not be held for another month, on the charge of piracy and murder on the high seas. The colonel took advantage of the interval that would necessarily have to elapse before his presence would again be required in court, to escort Miss Elsie to Paris, and place her under the care of the sisters at the convent at Neuilly, where, I think I told you before, he said her mother had been brought up and educated, 
while the skipper and others of us belonging to the Star of the North, being compelled to remain within handy reach of the authorities, in case our presence at the trial might be required, the opportunity was seized to lay the old barky up in dry dock, and give her a thorough overhaul, within and without, though the engines, as proved by our rapid passage here, were none the worse for our breakdown in mid-Atlantic, thanks to the skill and exertions of poor Stoddart, and the rest of old Mr. Stokes's staff. Most of us in this way got a short holiday while awaiting the assizes, which I spent with my mother and sister taking home with me the money I had been awarded as my share of the Saint-Pierre's salvage, which had made me fancy myself a temporary Croesus. Alas, though, the sum, large though it was for a young fellow to find unexpectedly in his pocket, went but a very short step in satisfying the rapacious wolf I found at my mother's door when I reached the little cottage where she lived with my sister Janet, in one of the suburbs of Liverpool. A bubble company, whose directors had all been selected for their religious bias rather than their business qualifications, burst at one fell coup, almost in the very hour of my return home, dissipating into thin air, as the Latin poet has it, all the savings of a lifetime which my mother had invested in the swindle the provision left behind by my father when he died, for her use, and the subsequent benefit of my sister and myself. The devout rogue who had managed the concern to his own worldly interest and that of his fellow religionists, carried on the same, so they say, in a pious and eminently Christian way, no doubt respected alike in the eyes of God and men, according to the loudly-voiced tenets of the particular sect to which he and his co-directors mostly belonged, but he managed, all the same, to carry off to a remote and friendly land outside the pale of international law, and where dividends need no longer be paid to clamorous creditors, a considerable amount of portable property of a valuable nature, amongst which probably was our inheritance, my mother's capital." Under these circumstances it behooved me to consider how I could best aid my poor mother and sister, then left suddenly destitute through no fault of their own. Fortunately, I had the means at hand. In our constant association on board the Star of the North, after his rescue from the drifting boat, in which he greatly exaggerated the help I was able to render him, Colonel Vereker was kind enough to notice me much more than my subordinate position on board would have seemed to warrant, and in a conversation we had together during the voyage home from New York, after asking me what my prospects were, he made me an offer to accompany him back to Venezuela on his return, promising me, should I accept, a good salary to start with, and a fair chance of ultimately making my fortune. Loving the sea and my profession, however, with all a sailor's love besides being attached to my old ship and her officers, I felt no inclination then to give up what I had learnt to look upon as my legitimate calling, and turn landsman. So, although I had the highest admiration for the colonel, coupled with more than a liking for his young daughter, between whom and myself there seemed such a mysterious sympathy on the evening of my sighting the Saint-Pierre, when the captain declared we were some hundreds of miles apart. I reluctantly, and so it seemed to me ungraciously, declined his proposal, telling him I preferred sticking to the skipper and the old barky. 
but the colonel very kindly would not take my refusal at first as final, and when setting out for Paris to take Elsie to her convent school, she taking leave of me with many tears and assurances that under any circumstances she would always remain mio amiquito, my little friend, pledging herself, too, to be, if allowed at the school, a constant correspondent if I would write to her sometimes to let her know where I was. Well, the kind, good-hearted man, taking, as he said, a deep interest in my welfare for Elsie's sake as well as my own, assured me that he would keep his generous offer open until the period arrived for his ultimate departure for South America, on the termination of the trial of the Haitian pirates and their mutineer accomplices. So recollecting all this in my hour of need, I naturally turned to the colonel and told him of my trouble on his return to Liverpool for the assizes, at which, by the way, the black scoundrels and their allies were sentenced to five years' penal servitude, the judge regretting his inability to impose a heavier punishment from the fact of proof being wanted of the active participation of the prisoners in the atrociously cruel murder of Cato and the other diabolical work perpetrated on board the ill-fated ship. We were all glad when this matter, with the examination and sickening details that it entailed, was finally settled, and we were at liberty to go where we liked. Colonel Vereker more than justified my confidence in him. "'Heavens, my boy! You must and shall be as my son,' he said, wringing my hand in a grip that I knew would be faithful unto death. "'Come with me, and I will make a man of you, and a rich one, too, Dick Haldane.' "'But how shall I manage about my mother and sister, sir?' said I hesitatingly. "'How shall I manage about them during my absence?' "'You can make over your salary to them, for you will not want anything while at Caracas, as you will live with me as my private secretary,' he replied, with another hearty shake of my hand. The money shall be paid to your mother regularly by my agent here, so that you need have no fears on that score as to her support. But I do not want you to decide such an important change in your life without proper consideration, and the advice of your friends, my boy. Go and consult Senor Applegarth, who I know is an old friend of yours as well as being your captain, and then if he and your other friends advise your acceptance of my offer— and your mother and sister are willing to part with you. Why then, Dick, you may consider the matter settled, and you some day will be very thankful you accepted my offer. The skipper did not hesitate for one moment in giving his opinion, though, like most of my messmates, he was good enough to say how sorry he would be to part with me, and how he would miss me. Go, by all means, my lad, said he. "'But, George, it's a chance that doesn't come twice in a fellow's lifetime, "'and you may consider your fortune as good as made.' "'Mr. Fawcett and Gary O'Neill were equally enthusiastic. "'Faith no, sir,' observed the latter with a comical air "'of assured deference at my future dignified position, "'as he imagined it would be. "'I hope you'll remember your humble old friend, Gary, "'when you're president of the Venezuelan Republic.' Made a lot of yeller divvies for lackeys, and so many dollars that you won't know what to do with them. <laughs> Begora, it's wishing I am. I stood in your shoes, Eleanor, and I wouldn't care for to call the Pope me uncle. God bless him. Spokeshave, though, sneered at my success in gaining so good a friend as the Colonel. But, owing to the accident to the top of his nose, 
which still being bandaged, or rather court-plastered up, and not tending to add to his beauty, he was not able to turn it up and sniff in his former irritating way that always exasperated me so much. As for old masters, his face became the picture of woe when I informed him I was leaving the ship and the company's service. "'You mark my words, Master Haldane,' said he in his most sepulchral manner. "'Many a one afore you has throwed up to sea, and what good has it done em? "'No good. Them that goes to sea ought to stick to the sea, that's what I says. "'And if they throws it up, oh, I hopes you won't. "'They always live to repent it. "'I'd be truly sorry you'd be going. "'And, uh, Master Haldane,' I said as how some of it come of our seeing that there blessed ghost ship. And so something has happened, Boatswain, and a precious lot too, my hearty, said I, jokingly, as I stood on the gangway, preparatory to going over the side. But never mind that now, old shipmate. Good-bye to you men, and thank you all for your kindness to me from the time I first sailed with you as a youngster. I really believe I could see a tear in the old boatswain's eye as he wished me farewell with the rest of them, the crew manning the rigging to give me a hearty cheer and send-off that could be heard across the Mersey. Thus it was that I took leave of the old barky, and my mother's consent having been obtained before I finally settled with the colonel, no further arrangements had to be perfected beyond obtaining and preparing my kit and a hasty run to the cottage to pay a last visit to my old mother and sister Janet, and wish them farewell for a few years, when I looked forward to returning to England and finding them both well and happy, and in more comfortable and prosperous circumstances. That same afternoon Colonel Vereker and I started off by train from Liverpool for Southampton, at which latter port we embarked in the outward-bound West India mail steamer, sailing for Cologne, en route to Venezuela. End of chapter 27